government at its head, I say we are at the point of no return. It is a moment of to be or not to be, to choose agreement and to achieve a foundational constitutional moment that will enable us to thrive and grow for years and generations to come or to slide into a constitutional, security, social and economic abyss. North Korea has said its military units conducted an artillery drill yesterday on what it called its Western Front. The country's leader, Kim Jong-un, visited the site to oversee the exercise in person. State media said shells had been aimed at simulated enemy airport targets. It said the drills proved its military's capability to counter what it called an actual war scenario. President Biden has outlined his budget for 2024, proposals that could form the backbone of a re-election bid. It includes big spending plans worth more than $6 trillion, with the focus on social programs and infrastructure. Mr Biden said his budget would reduce the huge US deficit over 10 years, while the Republicans' budget would increase the deficit. I just laid out the bulk of my budget. Republicans and Congress should do the same thing. Yeah. Then we can sit down and see where we disagree. Our Republican friends said they want to reduce the deficit, but we did the math on what they've put forward so far. And our estimate, I'm happy to be proven wrong, my plan is to reduce the deficit by $3 trillion over 10 years. Based on what we know so far about their plan, it's going to ex explode the deficit by more than $3 trillion over the next 10 years. The Democrats' budget will raise taxes on the rich and large companies. The weather forecast mainly fine apart from rather low visibility in some areas. It'll be dry and rather warm today with a maximum temperature of about 26 degrees and moderate easterly winds. Currently the observatory, the temperature is 21 degrees Celsius, relative humidity now at 60%. News and weather, RTHK. Good morning. This is Back Chat for Friday, March the 10th. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. On Friday's Back Chat, we're looking at Hong Kong's attractiveness to mainland tourists. A new survey by global consulting firm McKinsey says there is strong demand from Greater Bay Area residents to visit Hong Kong now that COVID restrictions have been lifted. But they also say the SAR needs to up its game to take advantage of this demand. After 9.45, we'll look at the first international treaty to protect the high seas. We want to know what you think. Tell us on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can also email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 233-88266. Uh, we got two uh, guests joining us today to kick off the show. More to join us later. But starting off, we are we are joined by the uh, the firm that authored the report, Enoch Chan, partner at McKinsey's Hong Kong. Good morning, Enoch Chan. Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. We've also got Professor Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor in Integrative Resort and Tourism Management and Associate Dean, Curriculum and Teaching at the Faculty of Business Administration, one of our local universities. Good morning, and thank you for joining us, uh, Glenn. Good morning. Good Thanks morning. for having us. All right. Enoch Chan, give us the lowdown on this report. Uh, the mainland tourists, you say they want to come, but what do we have to do to make sure that we're ready for them? Thank you. Uh, so we conducted the report, uh, the survey last month, right? And uh, we surveyed about uh, a thousand mainland uh, uh, citizens in the Great Greater Bay Area. Um, the, the finding is, uh, on one hand, quite positive in the sense that uh, one in three of the surveyed uh, respondents would love to uh, visit Hong Kong or have plans to visit Hong Kong in the next 12 months. 
so that is quite positive news for Hong Kong, right? And we found that the um, the motivation for shopping still remains quite strong, right? Across, you know, for retail, you know, people do still want to come to shop for luxury items. Uh, they are planning to spend around uh, seventeen thousand uh, on. Uh, luxury products, you know, mindful that we are serving a rather affluent um, uh, segment. Uh, and also they are still interested to come to Hong Kong for uh, financial services, right, and also for healthcare. Uh, but on the other hand, when we dig a little bit deeper, right, there are a few things we are a bit worried about for Hong Kong, and I think there is a, a burning platform to, to evolve, right? On one hand, um, the, 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 the tourists or the GBA citizens, when they come to Hong Kong, it's really mostly for the products that they cannot get in mainland China, right? But that is not really a differentiate a differentiation that can sustain, right? On the other hand, when we talk about the uh, the digital experience or the whole customer experience service level, uh, it's obvious that these are not the primary reasons, and there are some signs that we might be falling behind, right? So we think that the Hong Kong companies. Uh, would need to evolve quite quickly to, to catch up to that. When you say falling behind in the customer experience, I mean, uh, you know, we hear about restaurants and hotels are all desperate for staff right now, and so service levels have kind of fallen off a little bit. Is, is, that, true in, is that true in parts of the economy that impact on the mainland tourist customer experience? Yeah, um, because we uh, surveyed these uh, uh, citizens last month, right, many of them have not yet visited Hong Kong because, you know, the visa coming through, uh, it's not fully kind of uh, easy to get yet, right? So I think that they probably haven't, they haven't experienced that. They are uh, probably imagining or thinking about it based on kind of uh, what they hear from friends, family, and also on the news. But I do, think, I do think when they come to Hong Kong, it is something we need to be ready for, right? Because when they come, you know, uh, if 2019 was a, uh, uh, we look at that, um, you know, the mainland tourists do have a different sort of um, uh, expectations in terms of you know how they want to be serviced in restaurants, in retail shops, and basically Hong Kong have been uh, <laughs> uh, taking three years off, and now the whole you know the demand is coming back, right? And we got to be ready for that. All right, Mr. Chen, what do you actually mean when you talk about digital experience? Yeah, so I think um, uh, all the way from the way that you know the consumers learn about uh, you know what they want to buy, uh, we call it the awareness stage. To also, you know, the, and to the consider and also the payment payment stage, right? So the um, the popularity of mobile payment, even though it has gone up in Hong Kong by a lot, but you know, in China the expectation is very very high, right? This is a cashless society now. You just don't even see people handing over paper bills. So and in the awareness stage, right? You know how they use, uh, you know, Xiaohongshu, uh, use WeChat use Billy Billy to learn about the latest trend, you know, kind of make up their mind on what they want to buy. Um, and before they come to Hong Kong, they probably would have done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Are the Hong Kong companies, are the Hong Kong brands uh, uh, fully embedded into that ecosystem yet? Uh, uh, we don't think so. Hmm. Professor McCartney, uh, looking, looking at it from Macau's perspective, you're at the University of Macau, yes? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so, so I mean, what, what is happening over on, on your side of the, uh, the Delta? Well, I, I have to agree with a lot of what Mr. Chan said there with the uh, digital, digital experiences and the experience of tourism and the shift in the last few years coming out of COVID-19. Um, Macau's experience has been very good, actually, because given that, you know, at Christmas, what was happening around that time with, with COVID in, in, in Macau and then our 
you know, getting the capacity, ramping up and getting ready for Chinese New Year. And we've seen the success of Chinese New Year here with mainland Chinese visitation and the numbers and so forth. Um, so the, the, the issue is, um, I think one of the things that with being to Macau's benefit has been, for example, the last three years, the Mr. Chan's issue is top of mind of, of Hong Kong, of Chinese visitors. Macau was able to keep the corridor with China, so there was a stream of visitors coming to, from mainland China to Macau the last three years over this corridor. You know, um, yes, there was a lot of NAT and RAT testing, but there was still a, a stream of visitation, and that sort of fed back into the narrative of the social media and people talking about Macau and talking about Macau. And during that time, also the tourism office and the integrated resorts, which I think I should talk more about these large integrated resorts, have been doing campaigns in China for top of mind, even though they couldn't come to Macau. There was like, when you can, when you can, this is what you can experience, some of the new products and amenities. And I think to Mr. Chan's issue there too, we have brought a lot of new product online. So you have Londoner, Galaxy's bringing the, a lot of the new hotels. We have a big water park, a studio with cities. So we haven't sat idle during those three years in terms of bringing new product, new amenities, and new experiences for the visitor. And so we're being able to, as you can see from the numbers, get a lot more luxury spending, and also um, not just luxury spending, but the, the F&B and, and so forth. All right. So I, I, to be honest, I hadn't seen the numbers. I wasn't aware that Macau was kind of back on fire. We just, we just, uh, Hong Kong opened up to Macau and we're slowly starting to see people going over there for a, a day trip, a night trip, that sort of thing. But are you, are you saying that Macau's kind of been on fire this whole time? Well, we had the same problem coming out of COVID because for those few weeks in December, many people in Macau, you know, we got COVID, right? Because we just removed the uh, restrictions. So there was this issue of also capacity and ramping up. Where it be ferries, you'll see ferries are not put on schedule yet. But that's the tourism industry where you're bringing airlines back online, ferries, hospitality industry, housekeepers, waitresses, waiters, and so forth. That takes time to bring back online again. And so, yes, we're not at full capacity, but Chinese New Year was a very reassuring on the numbers that we were receiving in terms of like um, going to almost full occupancy in hotels and uh, on the retail. I was walking around the, the, the integrated resort so you could see the volumes of people in type of village. It was full of shoppers from, from mostly from me, of course, from mainland China. So there's that, that was that appetite. We knew, we knew from the data over the last few years, we call it the, the pent up demand in China, you know, the, the, the wish to travel, the wish to spend. And during, during the COVID restrictions, I actually went to Hainan because we were able to go to China without the, uh, the quarantine and so forth, but with testing. So I was able to see in Hainan Island, for example, this really, this mass tourism, um, so when people were able to travel. So there was, even in domestic tourism in China during the three years, uh, uh, a willingness to travel. Of course, there was restrictions in place. Hmm. Right. Are the deals there? Like, I mean, if I'm in, if I'm in Hong Kong thinking about uh, taking a weekend in Macau, am I going to get deals or is it kind of back to full-on pre-COVID prices? Well, again, of course you will get deals, you shop around. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons why mainland Chinese come to Macau, of course, gambling is one thing that Hong Kong doesn't offer and that's one of our distinctive, attractive attributes, absolutely. But also the other issue, of course, is luxury shopping and a lot of retail malls here. We have flagship stores and so forth. So they are duty free. So coming back to Mr. Chan's point, if, you, if you're going head to head Hong Kong and Macau and luxury shopping, you show that that's uh, what is distinctiveness about that. So these integrated resorts have been building out a lot more experiences for them in terms of not just the products, but some of the services, ramping up their F&B 
uh, and all the other, you know, we call the, uh, the not just the functional, we call the psychological things, making sure that service is key in delivering on that. And also, for example, on digital. I mean, my few trips to China just even the last few years, I mean, cashless, absolutely. So you have to be, you really have to deliver on the on some of the digital stuff. You have to really deliver on not just the shopping, but the experiences around that. And that comes like, for example, service quality, delivery and so forth. All right. Uh, Mrs. Mr. Chan? Mr. Chan? Yep. Um, yeah. I, know, I know this time um, you did a survey on Hong, uh, on GBA in, in Hong Kong. Uh, how, do you think you can compare um, the situation in Macau with Hong Kong? I mean, do you agree with uh, what uh, the professor just said? I mean, in, in terms of digital experience and service quality. Yeah, I think we are in a quite uh, a strong alignment in the sense that I think uh, I think a very good point that was that was raised is over the past three years, I think Macau has become a lot more top of mind. Uh, and uh, and also for uh, um, you know things that you know used to be uh, Hong Kong's unique advantages, right? I think a lot of people come to Macau now, uh, not only for the gambling but also for the F and B experience, uh, also for the shopping experience. And I think this is um, uh, for us, you know, who are in Hong Kong, I think this is something that we need to catch up on, but also find our own differentiation, right? Because. Uh, the Hainan uh, uh, duty-free shops are, you know, um, a very prime example, right? Over the past three years, a lot of the tourists have experienced, you know, have gone to Hainan because uh, it, it is just much easier to travel there. And we surveyed the, uh, the GBA citizens, right? And we found roughly 15% or so of consumers who would uh, who say that they would decrease, um, you know, their spending in Hong Kong. And that is across luxury products to, you know, uh, uh, health supplements to, you know, skincare, cosmetics products, right? And a, a primary alternative is actually a high-end duty-free shop, right? Uh, it's just so much more convenient now. Hmm. But also, you know, Macau and the overseas Daigo, uh, you know, uh, shopping uh, for you is, is kind of uh, really catching up as well, right? So I think Hong Kong is also paying, facing um, uh, pressure not only from Macau, but all these are neighboring cities and alternative channels as well. From a, a mainland perspective, I mean, you know, in the, in the before times, as in before COVID, before the apocalypse, um, you know, you would there was kind of a sense that people would come and they would go to Hong Kong and Macau because they were just getting out of China. But is Macau now seen as like part of inside China? So you go to Macau, that's great. But coming to Hong Kong is like an extra step. It's like you have to get different visas and procedures to be able to come to Hong Kong? I mean, is, is, is it still Hong Kong and Macau on the same side of the wall, or is Macau now considered inside the China fence? Enoch? Yeah, I, me. Sorry. Either or. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take it from Eric. Okay. Glenn, Glenn, you seem well, keen to jump in. Why don't well. you jump in there? Professor McCartney. Oh, um, you, 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 one thing about importance in tourism in general, I mean, I'm not is infrastructure and access and so forth. So one thing that we have seen, for example, Macau's immigration is in Chengqing Island. I go through it m multiple times. And uh, it's very, very accessible and there's high-speed trains. And Guangdong is like 40, 50% of our visitation. So it's very accessible. Um, that's what our visitors want now. They want to get there quickly, without hassle. They want to get in and out from, from their destination. So I think providing that is very important to Mr. Chan's point. And the perception of the access. So many people that haven't been to Hong Kong yet, 
will have perceptions it is easy to get in as, as we know from some of our research in Macau we have to get that into the minds of the mainland Chinese in terms of like for example we know we're competing against domestic markets like Hainan Island with their luxury so we we can also present that duty-free shopping but we add on other elements the top of mind of course is accessibility and one thing we've seen very to our advantage the last few years and I think talking even with Hong Kong about this if you're talking is the clustering effect for example of airports Shenzhen, Zhuhai, Guangdong airports which have also I was at Zhuhai airport just a matter of weeks ago and a great development there expansions and so forth so when you see that it's like how do you harness and link with partnerships and joint ventures and so forth to ensure that you can then you, you know you can channel in uh, these visitors and I think that's part of the big sort of tourism strategy knowing that you see what's happening in Hong Kong now and Macau is like how can we then you know, uh, knowing these things are happening is like, uh, how do we, for example, link into the infrastructure and access issue? Hmm. So, Enoch Chan, if, if Hong Kong is uh, on the outside and Macau's on the so the inside, is Macau competing with Hainan, whereas Hong Kong is competing with Singapore, Japan, Korea, these other types of places? Is that is that where it puts us in the minds of a mainland uh, tourist? Yeah, um, when we spoke to the uh, GBA citizens, um, they they actually intend to stay in Hong Kong for more than one day, right? Uh, quite a number of them actually told us uh, they want to spend, you know, three to seven days here in Hong Kong. And I think the clustering effect, you know, they, they, they don't see Hong Kong as the only potential destination, right? I think the fact that, you know, it is just quite close to Macau, I think naturally, you know, it is some, some place that you want to visit together as well, right? So I think the whole GBA Hong Kong, Macau, uh, potentially some nearby cities in, in Guangdong province as well, right? Uh, really could play up our advantage as one tourist um, destination. Uh, and, and by that, you know, on that token, we are definitely competing with the other destinations in, in Asia as well. And I think the trick is really to ensure that we have the right access and the perception of access, right? Because we do have the travel infrastructure in place. We have the big bridge connecting us to Zhuhai and uh, Macau. The border, once fully reopened, right, actually the, 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 uh, the travel, the transportation is actually quite convenient, right, from, from Hong Kong Island to the Shenzhen Airport, right, you know, it's around an hour and a half car ride. So it is quite possible, but I think we have the hard infrastructure, but the whole soft structure, the whole, you know, um, experience, we need to catch up to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of uh, Facebook comments coming in from our loyal listeners, uh, Keen Lusho. And, I mean, can we segment these tourists that are coming in? So Howard E., uh, noted Hong Kong film critic, says, uh, in answer to the question, do we know what mainland tourists want? He says, yes, we do. Milk powder, if my neighborhood has any indication. But, of course, you know, I guess there's different types of tourists. Some come for milk powder and they're in and out in a day, whereas other people come for other things. Uh, Henry Young says, uh, Hainan, Macau, all show the need for long-term strategic planning to build a big tourist magnet. It takes years and deep thinking. Short-term, just can't do. And only leads Hong Kong further down the league. Uh, he thinks we lack big attractions or sites. We have Ocean Park, Disney, but they've been here for a long time. The Big Buddha and plus the Palace Museum maybe those can appeal to mainland tourists? I mean, are, do we have different categories of tourists that we're trying to get, and which ones are coming back first? Yeah, um, we haven't done the whole segmentation exercise yet, right? Uh, but uh, it's still early, day, uh, early days after the boundary reopen. Uh, but I think there are a few core advantages, right, that Hong Kong can play up to, 
that we, we find out from this survey. And I think the, the, there could be different combinations of that att uh, attracting different uh, segments. Let me take one example, which is quite interesting, is the whole um, uh, the, the, the uh, aesthetics and medical services, right? Of course, um, when people used to come to um, Hong Kong, right, um, they, they get a lot of the injections that they don't manage to get in mainland China or the equipment or the, you know, um, the, the treatment is not fully uh, accessible in, in China yet. And, and I think they are coming to Hong Kong for that, right? Uh, of course, a bit more of those uh, people would be, con of those consumers would be women. Um, and for healthcare, right, you know, we used to have a lot of people coming for uh, vaccination, right, because um, for some vaccines, they are still not able to get in China, for example, the, the mRNA vaccine. Uh, so that could also be one uh, interesting, you know, reason to, to hook people to come to Hong Kong as well. Uh, but on the other hand, we also see that um, as people consider to come to Hong Kong, the demand is actually quite diversified now, right? So we actually have, you know, 20% of people who say they want to come to Hong Kong for dental care or for um, OBGYN, right? So um, I think we need to offer a wide enough spectrum of uh, services, right? And we do need to do the work, right, to segment, hey, what are the different categories of shoppers so that they can, you know, if they still want to get the, the milk powder, the infant formula, sure, but what else are they going to buy? Uh, I think it's not just who they are, but also how we offer our experiences such that, you know, they can actually find uh, different purposes and different of their desires met uh, in, in Hong Kong. Glenn, what do you figure? I mean, like, are, are, people, are, are the people in the tourism industry in Macau, are they looking at Hong Kong and they're thinking, ah, those guys, they don't know what they're doing. No problem. We got we got this covered. Or are they thinking, you know, wow, I mean, we really got to up our game to compete with Hong Kong. I mean, where, where do we fit in the, the Macau psyche? No, the, the, I don't know. The, the, of course, that's not the case. I think the issue is, and later on, I mean, I, I work in tourism for a long time, tourism planning and strategy and master planning. And I think what I was recently, a few weeks ago, at the QTSA Awards in uh, Hong Kong Convention Center, and I, uh, the, with the Quality Tourism Service Awards scheme, and I witnessed a great energy in that convention center, what, giving awards to all, a lot of frontline staff for their service delivery, you know? And, and it was great to see that all these uh, F&B retail outlets being re-recognized, you know? So I could see, you know, there's that, there's that, now you're reopening in Hong Kong too. There's this, you know, passion and drive to, to deliver that. But I think to, to Mr. Chan, I mean, if I was, you know, one of the, I mean, I'm not, if I, if I was to look at, for example, how we can work together, and I think this is an important thing as we look at the, what, what, what the GBA means and what we're looking at, how, how Macau's looking at Heng Ching Island and how we look at synergies and how we can work together for, for short, you know, even regional travel and international travel. And I think there's, there's a lot of work we can do together rather than saying, you know, Hong Kong and Macau particularly for regional and long-haul travel. Um, I think one of the issues that we look back at, you keep talking about 2019 and, and, and how the, the tourists uh, was, I think to go back to your, your, your game plan in 2019 wouldn't be completely correct because things have changed in the minds of the Chinese consumer and what their wishes and their wants, their motives, because we do a lot of deep diving and data here, obviously, because the last few months, a lot of, a lot of information we were receiving about our tourists. But one thing we one thing was an indicator in December was as soon as the was as soon as the the mandates were being removed in many cities across China there was a lot of social media chatter a lot 
in terms of people's desire and wish to travel. And to Mr. Chan's point, you could dig deep a lot of the social media and understand what people wanted, what they were talking about, where they wished to go to, what was the top of mind cities. So there's a lot of good stuff coming out even in December uh, on the um, social media chatter and some of the some of the uh, online travel agencies and, and so forth, what they were receiving. So I think uh, if, you ga- if you garner all of that stuff, Hong Kong and Macau have this distinctive things that we could work together. We have the bridge connectivity now. And I think this won't happen in the months ahead, but certainly I think in the medium to longer term, we, you know, we should be sitting down and having that conversation of collaboration and cooperation where we could have... Um, I think one of the biggest challenges in tourism is there's two challenges. Getting people to come to your destination, but also to get them to stay longer and spend more. And I think that's just basically it. So if you can get a mainland Chinese to come to Hong Kong and they stay two days there, one day in Hong Macau or whatever, we all benefit from that uh, that sort of format. So rather than looking at each other as a competition, I think more issues like how can we collaborate for the, the longer stay and the longer spend. we got about a minute here, but I, I do want to get something clear. So if, if I'm coming from the mainland, do I have to get separate visas to go to Hong Kong and Macau? Or is it one visa to get out of China? I mean, how does that work now? Glenn? I'm not too sure of the, the, the visa issues on uh, on travel. I mean, this is not uh, uh, on mainland China because uh, um, to, uh, going to two destinations. But it's a very good point that you raised that we are, for example, Macau is looking at in terms of these these uh, their obstacles towards travel towards multiple destinations and so forth and exchanging. I think it's one of those those barriers we want to remove to make it like, come back to my original point of access. I'm sorry, I don't know exactly the point of like. Of how if you can travel to two or three places, but that is a good point to raise and, and, and look look at. Hmm. All right. Well, maybe we can get into that with our guests on the second half of the show. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep uh, Professor Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor of Integrated Resort and Tourism Management, Associate Dean at the University of Macau's uh, Faculty of Business Administration. We're going to keep him on the line. We're going to say adieu to Enoch Chan, who's a partner at McKinsey's Hong Kong, whose study kicked off uh, our interest in today's topic. Having a look at the weather, today is going to be mainly, mainly fine and dry, apart from relatively low visibility in some areas. Maximum temperature is going to be around 26 degrees uh, <clears throat> here in Hong Kong today. And we are going to be back with more on this topic of mainland tourism and later looking at the issue of uh, a new deal that has been struck among countries for ocean uh, preserving our oceans. So please uh, tune in for the second half of the show. And looking at it, the temperature is now 22 degrees Celsius and 53% humidity. The National People's Congress in Beijing has voted to approve a plan to reform the institutions of the State Council. The vote came at the start of the NPC's third plenary meeting. The meeting is also expected to confirm appointments to various key positions, including the NPC Standing Committee's chairperson and vice-chairs. National Security Police say they've arrested two women in separate cases. In a statement, the force said it arrested a 65-year-old woman on Hong Kong Island yesterday on suspicion of collusion with a foreign country or external elements. Separately, a 23-year-old woman was arrested in Sao Maoping on Wednesday on suspicion of inciting its secession. And the president of the Physiotherapy Association says a long-awaited change in regulations that will allow patients to go direct to a physio without seeing a doctor 
will support the government's goal of improving primary health care. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Have you received influenza vaccination and COVID-19 vaccination? Both are equally important. Getting influenza and COVID-19 at the same time may lead to more serious illness. Receiving the flu jab may reduce the chance and length of staying in hospital. Protect yourself and those around you. Get both jabs early. Keep influenza away. Get the jab every year. Please visit chp.gov.hk. Do you want to stay vigilant against unexpected documents launched for registration against your property? If you do, the Land Registry's Property Alert Service can serve you well. Property owners subscribing to the service will receive an email alert when any document is lodged for registration against their property. It can put your mind at ease on your valuable property. Visit landreg.gov.hk for subscription details. And we're back on Back Chat. It's me, Andrew Work, and... Me, Janice Wong. Yeah. So um, a quick uh, hit from our Facebook page, uh, Bright Spark HK says, if you make Hong Kong cheap, people will come here. Hong Kong used to run on volume. But he, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because it's a long one. Uh, but he figures the hotel industry have all put their prices up, the restaurant industry, uh, airlines uh, giving away a free tickets at taxpayers' expense. You can go to our Facebook page to get more of Bright Spark HK's views on what is going on with Hong Kong tourism. Uh, but in the meantime, we also have Professor Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor at Integrated Resort and Tourism Management, Associate Dean at the University of Macau's Faculty of Business Administration. So, <clears throat> so Glenn McCartney, we got into this a little bit in the first half hour, and I just really want to nail this down. Is Hong Kong considered inside China or outside China? And is Macau now considered a domestic destination or you know, an exotic outside destination. I mean, are we are we on are we on the same plane? Or are we on different planes now? I I, I don't view. I mean, that that sort of perceptions about Macau and Hong Kong being the two two SARs. I think that's always been in the in the in the frame of mind of the mainland China that these are two spatial regions with their own unique distinctiveness. So I don't that has not changed in in terms of in or out that sort of perspective. I think to the earlier interview is like, what is Hong Kong's distinctive uh, uh, traction? Um, if you want to say uh, Macau's, and so I, I, can't, I wouldn't say there's like in or out perspective. Yes, Macau has a benefit, of, uh, as for example, the Heng Ching development, which we are doing a lot of work towards. Where, for example, our immigration is over at Heng Ching. I am looking out my office here at the University of Macau. We are in Heng Ching, and there's only a small wall separating us and mainland China, and there's a lot of stuff happening in terms of uh, synergy and that, that we can drive our cars soon, and we, as Macau drivers can go to this, into Hengqing. So we're trying to make a little bit more, uh, this more uh, integration of making things easier, to my point earlier, and I think that's something for Hong Kong to, we were talking earlier, in minds of travelers from mainland China, is the ease of access. Um, now, for many who've been to Hong Kong, for example, prior to COVID, they will have, you know, these. they've been there, they, they know the experience. But I think for Hong Kong, they want to attract a lot of new visitation from mainland China. So people will will travel on their perceptions and the social media chatter and what people are saying about their visits or, or their potential visits. And so, uh, no, I wouldn't say the in or out perspective would really be, be, be working in that regard. 
How, how important is the social media game for promoting tourism now? I mean, like, is, is Macau all over social media? Have they given up traditional media? I mean, where, where, where does it fit now in terms of tourism promotion? Coming back to your point about segmentation and tourism, mm. um, that's very important. I mean, you have, you have a certain segment, the, you know, the useful segment, should I say, um, are, are really, really on social media. And then you've got, the, you know, older segments who maybe will move towards traditional media. So there's a, there's a place for both in that regard. So, for example, let's say Tradition is doing trade shows for Hong Kong tourism to go to Hong, into many cities in China. That's traditional. But you, you've got face-to-face. That's very, very important in tourism. You're doing trade shows into China, for example, and you're meeting your partners, travel agents, tour operators, mice planners, and so forth. That's face-to-face, very traditional, very much still part of the tourism marketing um, uh, scheme. But social media has taken a significant uh, role now in how we how we engage in social media, continuously engage in social media, not just uh, putting posts and so forth, but what type of posts you put in, what type of imagery you put in, and how is that shared. So there's a lot of dialogue right now on social media, particularly between a very youthful and very much now mobile uh, mobile uh, mainland Chinese tourists who, who, come, who come in small groups or with their with partners or with families. So that's a very, very important part of the... Now, if you really want to, Hong Kong wants to age more into the tourism, is that social media strategy. And that also plays into, for example, the issue, issue of digital. One thing about COVID-19 has accelerated the use of digital, and that means not just QR code spending, but really cashless, and that you have to really deliver on these things. Because, if, if you, I mean, one of the things is even if you, if you don't, I mean, that, that for, a, for a visitor coming... If you don't, then that becomes quite a negative thing. Then they will they, they will then post that and say, "I wasn't able to do cashless and so forth." So you really have to deliver in some of these. Uh, you must have not not nice to have, but must have. All right, and, and Professor McCartney, uh, when we look at uh, Macau's uh, tourism strategy right now, is it um, focused on attracting mainland tourists, or is it looking further away to, to international tourists? Well, uh, during. During COVID, we had the travel corridor for three years, so it was 90% of our visitation. And, and prior to that, it was 70%. So like Hong Kong, mainland Chinese is a major segment for us, but more so for Macau. Now, in saying that, there, uh, December was also a very notable time for us because the six gaming concessions got their, re, they got their, got their concession back for 10 more years. And so that underneath that gaming concession, is a is a is a, a term which says we have to develop more regional international markets. So you're going to see a lot more um, play for regional international markets in terms of what the integrated resorts going to going to market trying to get more. Because at the moment, yes, you're correct. Macau has a very little, a few percent of really international visitation. So that's going to be one of our medium to longer term strategies. How can we leverage at that? But even for the longer term, mainland China will remain our our, our, our market. But in saying that, as China reopens, there's many called second, third tier cities that we don't have access. You know, that we, you know, it's very, you know, China's huge, so we always focus on the major cities: Beijing, Shanghai, Guangdong, and so forth. But I think uh, we should be looking, and I think one of the strategies has been the last few years is going to second, third tier cities, and, and really going in there and, and saying, "Come to Macau." And I think that's the thing for Hong Kong. I, I'm not saying what their Hong Kong strategy is. Is you know these second, third tier cities have really come online with with a high spending and and cost um, um, an income to spend on tourism. 
And jumping onto this uh, full-speed train is Freddie Yip, the president of the Hong Kong Travel Agent Owners Association. Good morning, Freddie. Good morning. Good morning. Freddie, are the dark days over? Are the travel agents, uh, I mean, I mean, the ones that have survived the dark times, are they, are they back in business and ready to take mainland tourists and bring them to Hong Kong? Well, uh, as long as I understand that uh, the, thai, the, the tourists from mainland China to Hong Kong for the group tour, it uh, didn't start yet. It starts, uh, didn't start the group tour yet. And uh, now we can see more uh, Chinese, uh, mainland China, the people uh, coming to Hong Kong. They are the um, individual, individual uh, mm. uh, tourists, uh, not a group tour. Uh, from my understanding, in the past, before the COVID uh, pandemic period, maximum uh, the, the group tour to come to Hong Kong a day can be uh, reached to 400 to 500 groups a day. Mm. Uh, that was uh, before. But right now, uh, I don't think the group tour will come back so soon uh, due to a lot of arrangements, like uh, a new regulation uh, in Hong Kong started by, uh, uh, managed by, uh, controlled by uh, uh, the government, uh, we call the TIA, TIA to control the shopping uh, uh, the, the tours. And uh, we know the group tour from mainland China, the main income rely very much on the shopping conditions. Sure. So uh, right now the shops are still not yet ready to provide the services. So. The uh, travel agency in mainland China, they, they can't do the same thing like before, the zero to fare or very low to a fare to send the group to Hong Kong and put all the responsibility to the land operator. That means the Hong Kong travel agency to handle the client and send them to the shop to make conditions. So I don't think the group tour uh, can come uh, so soon. They need some time to... Uh, to make it work, uh, not like before. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we used to have the buses flooding across the border, everybody complaining about the mainland tourists filling up all their local stores and taking all the toothpaste and milk powder, and then even calling them cockroaches. Have the mainland tourists forgotten that? Have they, have they kind of forgotten about Hong Kong's dark side of, of welcoming mainland tourists or not welcoming mainland tourists? Is that, is that all forgotten now? Right now, uh, we also facing a, a big problem with the transportation. Although the high-speed uh, train will restart the long-haul sector within a few days' time now, uh, but the local transportation, the coaches, uh, we need uh, we need uh, we still need a lot of uh, drivers. Uh, those drivers, uh, they have. Uh, lost the job in the past three years and now uh, quite difficult to, uh, to, to, to get them back to, to, to take up the job. Uh, and we, we, uh, I, according to the members of my association told me that the, um, the demand, although not that much uh, like before, but still uh, they are now difficult to find uh, the tourist coach, coaches. And especially the cross-border coaches, also the, they need also the driver. This is the big problem for the, the manpower to make the, the, the range 
for uh, daily coaches uh, ran uh, before. Uh, I think um, a few months ago, uh, they can the travel agency can lease a coach to this coach with uh, let's say three thousand Hong Kong dollar for for day trip users. But now you go up to is five hundred five thousand to six hundred a day. Still, sometimes some day they couldn't find the coaches. So this is the problem for. Yeah, tourism uh, in Hong Kong right now. All right, and and earlier on the program we were talking about really uh, um, Hong Kong's attractiveness to mainland tourists. Um, Mr. Yip, do you think uh, Hong Kong is uh, is still attractive to mainland tourists? I mean, um, also on the line we have a uh, Professor McCartney, and then he's talking about uh, Macau situation, and uh, lots of people can just buy luxury goods in Macau now. I mean, they don't really need to go to Hong Kong. So, how attractive do you think Hong Kong is to mainland tourists? Hong Hong Kong still have. Uh, a lot of uh, attraction that uh, Macau can uh, work together with Hong Kong to uh, get the tourists from mainland China. I think uh, as long as uh, as long as we can resume all the services back to the normal, uh, the tourists the tourists in uh, Great Bay area with the with, with the with, with, with the income increase in the past five, few years they will consider the first stop to come to Hong Kong and Macau mm. and I don't think Macau and Hong Kong become a, com, a competitor as usual and before and right now and in the future people come to Hong Kong and then go to Macau or go to Macau and come to Hong Kong do you remember when the Macau uh, widely opened uh, the border for uh, allow the mainland people going there, but you can see not much to tourists. Although there are tourists going there, but not that much. The, the reason is that most of the tourists in the Great Bay area, uh, they would like to spend the holiday, uh, come to Hong Kong and Macau, or Macau to Hong Kong, both uh, cities. Mm. I'm looking at our Facebook page. Uh, TC says, judging by the Putong Hua version of the Hello Hong Kong campaign, I don't think the authorities in Hong Kong know what mainland tourists want. I'm not sure if they want to ride on the high-speed rail or go to Disneyland anymore. Mainland Charter already has these things. Uh, how about horse racing? How about the locale of notable movie scenes? And he references the recent blockbuster, A Guilty Conscience, which took place in a couple of... Uh, monuments. Uh, Glenn McCartney, I mean, what does Hong Kong have that Macau doesn't? Okay, you know, TC says horse racing. Uh, you know, your thing is integrated resorts, which I mean, Hong Kong doesn't really have. What, 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 why would people come to Hong Kong and, and not Macau? I think, I think, um, I think uh, in the mind of the, the mainland uh, people, they are still thinking going to Macau. There's uh, a lot of entertainment, entertainment uh, including casino, and uh, they spend the, the 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 night or two nights uh, in Macau. They can enjoy the uh, a lot of uh, entertainment in the casino or really nice uh, hotels. They can spend a day there. This is Macau, and in Hong Kong, they still consider it this uh, international hub uh, of the. In the worldwide, well known for shopping, for dining, and 
and they they understand or they have been here before or or, or just come to revisit. They want to come to Hong Kong to experience uh, what is the changes and uh, especially in the past few years, Hong Kong government has invested a lot of money in the infrastructure like the um, M Plus and whatever. We a lot of, of uh, facility has been um, uh, been built up, so still is a, a, a attraction for them. Uh, for the Great Bay Area people to come to Hong Kong. I'm quite confident that the tourists will come back once uh, all the transportation, all the services. Like Macau also, uh, I was there uh, last month. Most of the hotel also cannot fully open all the facility and the rooms due to the uh, sort of the manpower. This has mm. happened all over the world. Yeah. So, all of us uh, can improve the services to let the tourists have a good feeling to come to Macau and Hong Kong so both of our cities can uh, enjoy the same thing to get more tourists not only from mainland China can also from the Asian country or uh, from Europe so I think uh, it will be soon but we will take time to let the people work it out, work it out. All right, uh, one more quick hit before we go. Uh, Glenn McCartney, very quickly, is the time now to come to Macau? I mean, are, are there still deals to be had, or is it like, <laughs> take your time because it's already fully priced up? No, I, I think I've taken a few things away from the conversations this morning from your Hong Kong guests. Yeah. So in, in terms of, I, you know, you're talking about price point and value and, and giveaway and promotions and so forth. And that's very important to kickstart and ramp up again. But it's also, I think, for the Hong Kong and all the businesses, I mean, for the medium term and, and, and the longer term, is then adding value and bringing your prices. You know, you don't want to be there. You don't want to stick there for too long, you know. And so, uh, you know, Macau, yes, the prices will be going back up again and we were 100% occupancy. And just, you know, middle of February, Macau became the top five-star rated hotel capital in the world. We, we you know... After four or five weeks of reopening, this was our press release, the Forbes Travel Guide. And so we're, we're getting that messaging out. So luxury and the dot comes at a cost, right? So, you know, you, you, yes, and people have an expectation to pay. And so to, for Hong Kong to stick around that, this price point value adding, I think short term, yes, kickstart your kickstart at all. But I think you have to move on from that pretty fast in terms of um, getting much more uh, coin in, you know. And I think there's another thing I take away this morning as well from our conversation very quickly is, you know, the three years were the time to rethink and reset, you know, and as we come out of it all, sometimes I'm surprised we haven't done some things, you know, we had three years, you know, and so to say, click back to 2019 and the way we think things, I think is wrong in some aspects, because we're dealing with 2023, you know, and so, you know, we had this time of two or three years of, down, you know, downtime. And um, so when we come out of it all, there has to be some new, you know, rethink, reset. What are, we, what, what are we bringing to the market? Sure, one of the things that happened naturally was the accelerated use of, uh, of uh, technology. But certainly, I think coming out, we can't go back to some of our game plan we had in 2019. It won't work um, uh, because things have moved on. So mm. I, I noticed that this morning. I think, yeah, so the rethink is very important. And I think this private and public collaboration with the private sector investment to refresh things is very important but that, again that, that will always be key in, in driving for example hong kong tourism as well as that private
private-public collaboration is, you know, in, in, in going ahead. All right. Well, maybe time for uh, Janice and I, not, I mean, not together with our respective spouses, to book a trip to Macau for a good time for the weekend. Uh, it sounds like you guys are back in business, but watch out because the, Hong Kong's the, back in business too. <laughs> So, Professor Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor in Integrated Resort and Tourism Management, Associate Dean of Curriculum and Teaching at the Faculty of Business Administration at the University of Macau, has joined us, as well as Freddie Yip, the President of the Hong Kong Travel Owners Association. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. We are indeed back on Backchat, and uh, we're going to the second part of the show. We're going to talk to Lydia Pang, who's the Interim Head of Oceans Conservation at the WWF, Worldwide, uh, World Wildlife Fund for Nature Hong Kong. Sorry, Worldwide Fund for Nature Hong Kong, not the WWF. Different. Okay, thanks, Lydia, for joining us this morning. And we are talking about this new international treaty to protect the high seas. What is the treaty all about? Morning. Morning. So. Oh, uh, so uh, the uh, first of all, let's talk about the uh, high seas. Uh, the high seas means the area beyond national jurisdiction. So, in other words, it means the sea area that belongs to no uh, that has no rights to rule over. So, uh, uh, since 1980s, uh, the United Nations has uh, an. Uh, International law agreed that set up some key principles for the nations to manage their activities and dispute at the high sea. So uh, last Saturday, a new um, agreement, uh, which is legally binded under the law of sea, has been agreed. And then the focus is on the con- uh, conserving and then sustainable use of uh, biological diversity at the high sea area. Okay, and uh, so we have this new international treaty, and what does the new treaty cover, and who mm-hmm. is going to enforce it? Yeah, right. So um, the this treaty actually, um, in, uh, which is agreed that there will be a legal framework set up later to set up the marine protected area, and then how to assess the activities do the uh, environmental impact assessment for the nations to to maybe fish or to research and then to extract the uh, material from from the high sea so um um so uh, basically because the for the talking about conserving biodiversity and marine resources the um setting up marine protected area is a very key actions to do so uh this is very um ambitious and then we it's very encouraging news to the conservation right but who's going to protect it you say it's a protected area but who is going to do the protecting i mean all i've ever seen is paul watson and the sea shepherds running around and they're in their boats ramming japanese whaling ships uh who is going to protect the high seas if they're outside of anybody's national jurisdiction Right, the um, mechanism works like this. 
So um, now they have agreed that the marine protected area will be set up. And then how is it set up and then who will be managed will be um, uh, will be the the nations needs to discuss this uh, afterwards. Like uh, uh, they will maybe they will set up uh, uh, international bodies, secretary bodies that are to accept the proposal from the nations or um, uh, a group of nations, and then the this uh, secretary body will um, will will assess how oh, it is uh, the area boundary which like uh, where is it, and then the um, um, activities um, the uh, management. So uh, it will be decided afterwards. Mm, and what what kind of problems have we got to tackle? Like, I mean, I mean, uh, I think of uh, Doug Woodring has been really prominent in Hong Kong in highlighting the problems of the the great you know, these giant plastic dumps in the middle of uh, the Pacific Ocean. Uh, are they going to tackle these types of issues? Are they going to go out there and clean up all that plastic? And I mean, who's who's actually going to do it? Right. Um, actually, the uh, high sea is um, in uh, because uh, before the. This treaty is uh, agreed that uh, they um, have no control on the, like, for example, fishing activities. And uh, actually, 10% of the monitored species at the high sea is uh, at the risk of extinction. So, um, because it, it, um, it relates to so huge income uh, for these uh, fishing or uh, extractions of resources. So, um, um, it has to come into, um, um, gathered coordination um, uh, measures so that uh, these uh, activities um, can be have a ceiling or uh, for the method uh, how the method is um, uh, used uh, or activities uh, um, like like the impact level then uh, they have to be agreed uh, between nations on how to control. Right, you just mentioned that some species are at risk of extinction that uh, that are in the high seas. Um, can you give us some some examples? Right, right. Um, for example, uh, the whales, sharks, uh, the tunas, and then some migratory turtles, and also for the seabirds like uh, albatross, uh, also they um, using heavily the high seas area. So um, you also know that for the uh, whales, like the sperm whales, uh, in the past they have uh, when uh, before the nineteen. 19- 60, there are no controls on the whaling. So, uh, like for the uh, sperm whales, their population has dropped like 80%. But afterwards, because uh, there are uh, particularly, uh, particular uh, tricky on the whaling activities, so uh, it's fortunately that uh, the sperm whales population uh, start to go up a little bit since uh, 1980s. So if uh, similar measures to be uh, in, enforced on other like uh, fishes uh, populations and sharks, uh, it's hopefully that uh, those um, population, wildlife populations can be rebound later. And does this new treaty impose any obligations on Hong Kong in particular, or has Hong Kong stepped up to say we will take part in you know protecting the oceans and the high seas? Do do we have any role to play? Do we have a dog in this fight, so to speak? Right, right. Um, because um, China is also a member state of this international treaty. So uh, afterwards, uh, when the um, text of the agreement is agreed and confirmed, um, afterwards, the, uh, all member states need to decide whether they sign and ratify the um, the, tri- uh, the treaty context. So, um, so uh, for Hong Kong, 
um, once uh, the China has um, agreed and signed it, ratified the treaty, then uh, our activities will be also need to like uh, support in the uh, uh, compiling um, the commitment, the international commitment from China. Okay, so in other words, uh, when the details get worked out, China is going to have to figure out what they're going to do, and then they will decide if Hong Kong has a role to play in enforcing this treaty. Is that, have I got it right? Right, yes, right. Right, and, and how long will it actually take? Right, we think that uh, we will still need to. Uh, we, we urge that uh, it have to be happen as soon as possible. Um, yeah, is uh, because the target uh, it links to another global target, which uh, the uh, we hope that the thirty percent of a marine of marine protected area to be mm. designated in two thirty. So it's only seven years ahead to the target. So okay. hopefully it can take one one year's time, one to two years time, as soon as possible for the countries to uh, join and ratify. Very good. Yeah. That's thank you very much, Lydia Pang, interim head of ocean conservation at the Worldwide Fund for Nature. Thanks to my co-presenter Janice Wong, sound engineer Angie Kwok, and producer Karha.